Outsiders, welcome in. The NFL offseason is ramping up. We're recording this Tuesday night, March 7th, just hours after the NFL franchise tag deadline came and went. We got a lot of news to cover. Ryan Ballard, your host. I'm joined with the full crew, Ben Mandel, Corey Jason, and Dylan Mel. And I mean, this is it. This is the, the two weeks of downtime in the NFL has come and gone, and, and the quarterback market is starting to take shape. Other guys are on the move or staying put real quick. Got to mention the XFL. That's the professional football that's actually being played right now. They just finished up week three and you can start to tell the teams that are good, the teams that are bad, that picture starting to shape up. We'll probably give our power rankings for the XFL following their midpoint of the season week five. So another couple weeks here, but we got to jump right into the NFL here. I mean, again, franchise tag deadline came and went, but last week was the NFL Combine, giving all of us our first real big look at how these uh, prospects coming up in the draft look in an NFL setting. It always takes place in Indianapolis. Hopefully it stays there. I'm a big proponent of that, keeping it in place. I know there's the argument for having it change locations every year, just like the NFL draft. But guys, uh, who jumped out to you from their Combine performances? Sometimes this really boost the stock of some of these guys so who jumped out to you yeah i'm gonna go with uh with the george bulldog and it's not someone who necessarily stood out to me because i haven't seen him play anybody who knows me knows that i am a georgia bulldog fan and i love georgia football and nolan smith has been one of the huge pieces on this defense during their last two national championship runs and this past year for him he was fantastic uh and while I don't see him necessarily being a very high draft pick, he does end up leaving the combine with one of the best athleticism scores for his position as an edge rusher in second with an 85 on the athleticism score. His production score was fifth in his position at 78, total score fifth. Uh, as well with 78. The big thing, everyone saw the 4-3-9 40-yard dash. The guy can straight up fly. Uh, his vertical was a 41.5, a 10-8 broad jump. But the thing is with Nolan Smith, you're going to look at him and think, oh, this guy can't defend against the run. I can tell you firsthand, he is actually a better run defender than pass rusher, believe it or not. He is very, very, very team first the way he plays. He plays whatever scheme he is asked to do. I think he'd fit great in a 3-4 as that outside linebacker. He can drop into coverage. His pursuit defense isn't as good as you would hope for someone with his athleticism and speed. But at the same time, this guy can be an absolute game wrecker at times. He's very difficult to block on the edge. He's a very good edge setter. So your cornerbacks and your outside linebackers can truly go out and play. He'll set the edge. And, you know, the thing with Nolan Smith is he was always a gamer. He always stepped up, and he always wanted to make the play. Very, very strong weekend for Smith, and I think he opened a lot of people's eyes who aren't just always fixated on Athens, Georgia. I'm taking mine in a bit of a different direction. I'm going to go with uh, Andrew Voorhees, the interior offensive lineman from USC. His combine really didn't go the way that a lot of guys did. Their uh, stock shooting up but he impressed me most during the combine. He tore his ACL, just a complete clean tear. And with that, 
he did on one leg 38 reps of 225 pounds. The most in the whole combine on one leg. Didn't get enough leverage to push off all that. He led the whole combine, every single player in the bench press with a torn ACL. To me, that's a that's a, a gamer right there, just a straight-up hog molly. Nobody can ever discount his toughness. You know, standing 6'6", 320, he was ranked consensus, the fourth-best uh, offensive lineman in the draft. Probably graded out at about the, a second-rounder since he's interior O-line. Somebody who's not really able to play on the edges. But he's going to miss his whole rookie year, it looks like, so... He impressed me the most, but I think his stock took a bit of a tumble that might end up pushing him to day three. And I really just feel bad for the guy, but, you know, kudos to him for really showing out, especially showing that toughness with that ACL injury. I couldn't agree more there. And you gave everybody their word calendar word of the day there with hog molly. I will say that. Um, I want to talk about a more well-known guy from this combine, Anthony Richardson, been climbing up the draft board. And you all know me. You know how much I love betting. Went from about plus 30,000 to be the number one overall pick to like plus 700, I think it is. This dude has been impressing, and Vegas has taken notice to it, which is very important because you know how Vegas works. They like to keep their money. So if they take notice and make a change, it's definitely something to reflect on. And this doesn't really come as a surprise to people who followed college football. Anthony Richardson clearly had some talent. And to me, the story here reminds me of Lamar Jackson. Now, I'm not saying Richardson as the player reminds me of Jackson, although he does have the rush ability. But on a bad team, doesn't throw for great stats, under the radar, especially in terms of Heisman and winning games. But once you see him just as a solo act, you can tell that the talent is there. And I think a team near the back half of the top 10 picks is going to potentially get a steal in Richardson. He is a dual threat quarterback. He can be a franchise quarterback if developed correctly. I think this guy is a solid, solid player in the future. Yeah, Dylan, I just want to add with Richardson, again, being a Georgia fan, you see plenty of Florida, they meet every year in Jacksonville, and he's someone who didn't back down and wasn't shying away from that Georgia defense, which is very strong against the run. Now, he may not have had his best games, but he certainly stepped up and didn't look like he didn't belong on the field against them, which is a lot more than you could say about a lot of quarterbacks that played against that Georgia defense. Yeah, Anthony Richardson, definitely the big winner coming out of the NFL Combine. He was a guy that I had projected going maybe to Baltimore or Seattle with their uh, first-round draft picks towards the end of the first round. But certainly this performance helped Anthony Richardson skyrocket all the way up. He's in contention for first overall now, at least until Bryce Young has his pro day. He did not do anything at the Combine except attend and have some meetings. C.J. Stroud, the other big quarterback from the class, didn't do some of the other testing, the 40 or anything like that. He did throw, and he looked sharp. He looked precise. A good performance there by C.J. Stroud. Another guy I want to mention, D.J. Turner, had the fastest 40 time at this year's Combine, a 4.2640. And I think the 40-yard dash is one test one drill 
that seems to propel players up draft boards more than anything. It's just that speed and it's so tantalizing. You figure, oh, we can put him on, especially Turner, a cornerback from Michigan. You know, maybe they use him on special teams as a returner. You just want to get the ball in his hands. A player like that. Look at John Ross a few years ago, set the record, gets drafted. I believe it was ninth overall by the Bengals, but it's a cautionary tale. Sometimes it doesn't always pay off. I will say it seems to me right now that the draft's strengths this year definitely favors teams that want to add explosiveness to their offense. A lot of good quarterbacks, not just at the top. There's a couple of day two guys that have some intrigue around them. A couple of good running backs, but John Robinson, Gibbs as well. We talked about him before uh, hopping on to record. And a couple of good receivers as well. So in the tight end class, they're saying this is the best in a decade at least. So good offensive draft, couple of defensive studs as well. But let's transition here to the players in the league right now. A couple got the franchise tag placed on them. Most of them running backs. We talked a, a week or two ago how we don't really want to see running backs get tagged. And here, half the players that got tagged were running backs. Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard. We'll talk about Saquon Barkley. Uh, but Dylan, go ahead. Yeah, I want to start the conversation around Josh Jacobs. And Jacobs coming off the best year of his career you know, a young, promising running back. He's a little bit sneaky young. The franchise tag for me, two with the Raiders, it made sense and it doesn't. I'm not going to give it a grade at this time because it really depends on who they're going into next year with at quarterback. If they're going into next year with Jared Stidham, then this was a terrible move because spending that amount of money on a running back doesn't give you a real shot. But when you're in a division with Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and Russell Wilson, now with Sean Payton, you need to compete and you need to have weapons on the offensive end. Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, and Josh Jacobs are all excellent weapons. And if the front office believes that Josh McDaniels at coach is the answer and Derek Carr was the problem, that's all good and well. But I promise you, Jared Stidham's not the solution. And now speaking just more on running back in general, franchise tagging him. It seemed to be a popular course of action this year. As you mentioned, Saquon, Pollard, Jacobs, all tagged. And I'm wondering if this is something that'll be a trend for the NFL going forward because you don't want to give running backs big lengthy contracts, but you don't mind paying them big for one year. Or if this was just a one-off. Um, I'm interested to see your guys' opinion and if this is a trend that continues because we know how short the lifespan of a running back is. It's much better to give them the money for one year than work out a long-term deal. Yeah, Dallas uh, gives Zeke the big contract. They decide to tag Tony Pollard. Ben, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I think, Dylan, you hit the nail on the head there. I think this isn't necessarily just a trend. I think it might be uh, the way the league just moves in the future and the tag will be used on that position just because of how quickly running backs can go. And you can, you can stomach paying them the 12 million because you know what, at the end of the day, if your running back is getting tagged, that's around what market value is right now. Otherwise, I mean, Saquon Barkley, you heard it. He wanted 16 million for multiple years. Well, you know, the Giants offered him, what, 12, uh, I think, for four, uh, right around the Joe Mixon range of money. And, you know, 
for Barkley, he's going to have to go out and put out another fantastic year to get paid um, in terms of a big year contract. I think teams just know you can't pay your running back and handcuff yourself cap wise. So in terms of the Cowboys doing this, I completely understand and agree with tagging Tony Pollard, despite the injury, he'll be able to bounce back, but they have to cut Zeke, right? Like it, it has to be coming. I not too sure what they would be waiting for. I know Jerry Jones is very loyal, but there's just no way after placing the franchise tag on Tony Pollard that they go in paying that much money towards two running backs. So, yeah, interesting to see. I agree with the tag on on Pollard. I think it was the right move, especially because I think Tony Pollard, this is a win-win for both of them. He knows, you know, he's not going to get a huge deal right now with the injury. He was going to either have to take the tag with the Cowboys or go sign somewhere else and try to recover from an injury and learn a new offense. So we'll see what happens, but I think good move there as long as they cut ties with Zeke because you can't pay two running backs that much money. Yeah, you can't, but I can see Dallas doing that. Like you said, Jerry Jones is very loyal. He loves Zeke. Dak and Zeke are best friends. They really got close when they met each other at the Combine, their uh, rookie season. So I can see them keeping both. And, you know, when we first talked about whether to tag or not to tag a running back, I was very against it. But as the weeks have gone on, I've kind of come around to the idea where if you have a top-tier running back, like we've seen with Saquon, Jacobs, Pollard, why not throw them a one-year tag? It's only $10.1 million, so it's not an astronomical number. You get them another year. You can either work out a long-term contract or you can tag them and then tag them again the next season if they still perform well. I think a lot of guys saw what happened with Le'Veon Bell where he sat out after being tagged and then basically ruined his career. I think there is some fear with that. Time away from the game is not really all that good for you and your body. You kind of lose that muscle memory, I think. You lose that drive. You kind of get complacent not playing. But outside the running backs, we did see a defensive player get tagged. The only one, Deron Payne. He got tagged. He's a D-tackle from uh, the Commanders. He also got the non-exclusive tag. But that's going to run Washington $18.9 million. So a little bit more than these running backs are getting. But they this is when they needed to do. Washington's in a tough division. You got a really, really good offense in Philadelphia. You got a basket case in the Giants. And the Cowboys, who, I mean, I don't want to say their offense is not going to be great, but it's going to be interesting to see what Mike McCarthy calls. But regardless, there's going to be a lot of offense for the commanders to have to stop on defense. And Deron Payne's one of the best D tackles in the league. He's really good. Just the front four for Washington, Chase Young, Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Montez Sweat, that's an elite front four. And the D tackle market is ridiculous. The, the price tag between Donald, what we're going to see Quinn and Williams get, what we're going to see uh, Jeffrey Simmons, Dexter Lawrence, what these guys are going to get. If you can keep Deron Payne for one more year without having to pay him what these guys are going to get, or if you want to be the one that establishes that new market, then this is a move you had to make. 
So good on Washington for getting this done. It's in their best interest to lock him up, but at least now they extend it. And one of the best defensive players that could have been on the market isn't going to be on the market. And I don't think anybody's going to be trading two first-round picks for him. It's a little dangerous, that game. Yeah, one other player to talk about that got the franchise tag, tight end Evan Ingram, the former Giant. He signed a one-year deal with the Jacksonville Jaguars an offseason ago, and it looked like he finally found his groove. He found a good role in the Doug Peterson uh, offense this past year, really helped Trevor Lawrence find his groove as well, bouncing back from the disaster that was Urban Meyer in 2021. And he gets rewarded. He had a good season. He gets a franchise tag now worth about the same amount of money. I think it's a little more than what he signed the one-year contract with. But Evan Ingram will be back in Jacksonville. So will Calvin Ridley. He was reinstated this week as well. So plenty of weapons at Trevor Lawrence's disposal as they look to defend their AFC South title, which I think they will. Let me kick it out to the Giants fans now. We got here Ben and Corey. Daniel Jones at the last minute signs a four-year a $160 million deal. He gets the $40 million a year he wants, and then Barkley gets the franchise tag. Are you guys happy with how this turned out, or were you hoping it would go another way? I mean, I think the most important thing is that they ended up getting a deal done with Jones so that they can tag Barkley. And I understand the criticism that the Giants are going to get because – everyone's going to say they rushed a deal with Jones to tag the running back. And while I I really do think they should have done the non-exclusive tag on Jones, because I don't think he would have gotten that much on the open market. I think his uh, Corey and I actually were talking about this yesterday um, when we were out. Jones's leverage was completely the giants knowing they wanted to use the tag on Barkley So they were trying to get it done with Jones beforehand because they knew they weren't going to get Barkley at the $12 million deal per year. And it like he wanted McCaffrey money. And I understand, you know, Barkley has to do what's in his best interest. He knows this is the year he's going to get paid and good on him for being happy for Daniel Jones, knowing that he was going to end up getting the franchise tag after that move happened. Uh, So, you know, happy to see those two guys um, happy that they're going to be playing again together next season. Ultimately, it is a good move, though, for the Giants. They still have some cap space to play around with heading into this season. Uh, I believe before the Jones deal, they had like the third most cap space uh, or fourth most cap space to use. Uh, you know, they can go into the draft and instead of trying to rebuild the offensive line this year or get a quarterback or get a running back, they can go and try to play around and get some defensive backs. They can go get some running backs or uh, wide receivers rather. So I, I think the first round pick now definitely gets used on a wide receiver. Hopefully the Giants are able to put more talent on offense. Uh, they can supplement on defense and get better. And we'll see, maybe they get worse next year. Hopefully Daniel Jones takes the next step and is able to put up some better passing numbers because again, six yards per attempt is not a $160 million man make. I'm glad they got this deal done. It really sets up what the Giants are going to want to do this whole offseason. If you break down Jones's deal, four for 160, so it's 40 per on the outside. But if you break it down, it's a two-year, $84 million deal. 
Plus, he's getting another $35 million in incentives, and we don't know what those incentives are just yet. But I expect it to be incentives that where if he reaches it, we're going to be really happy that he signed that deal anyway. You know, MVPs, uh, yard milestones, touchdown milestones, stuff like that, where if he's reaching those incentives, he's playing like a top 10 quarterback. So it doesn't really matter that we're paying him that because we're going to be happy. So it's $82 million over the first two years, right? 92 total guaranteed. The first year, it's going to be $19 million against the cap. And that's amazing for what the Giants can do. They have, I think they still have the top five most cap space in the league. And that allowed them at the uh, to tag Barkley. That allowed them to really focus on what they want to do. There's a bunch of linebackers out there. You know, there's some safeties. Maybe the Giants tried to steal uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson from the Eagles. That'd be somebody that they're going to be looking at. There's a lot of moves that this opens up, and it also solidifies us to not have to worry about the quarterback position, but gives us a chance to reevaluate over two years, where if we cut him after year two, not much going in dead cap, allows us to start over, so our new administration and Joan, uh, Joe Shane and uh, Brian Dable, they're not necessarily tying their cart to Jones, but they are allowing Jones to be a franchise quarterback if he is one. It's a really good deal. It's really not as bad as the car contract is for the Saints, less than the guarantees. But the Saquon franchise tag, it's $10 million for a running back. We used him like a workhorse last year. If you if he's used like a workhorse again and falters like he did towards the end of the season where his numbers were very inefficient, we can either cut bait with him or tag him again. But I think they're going to try to get a long-term deal done. $13 million a year, three, four years, so three for 39, four for 52, somewhere in that range. We might see that done because he is more than a running back to the Giants. He's a, more of a face to the franchise than Jones is. And the Maras love him. He's really big with the fans. When you go to a Giant game, you don't really see the Jones jerseys as much as you see the Barkley jerseys. That's a big selling point to the Maras on why they want to keep him. And it stinks having to pay a running back all that much money. You see the Titans looking to move on from Derrick Henry as it is. Joe Mixon's probably going to get cut, but he's also got some other issues. Kamara, who knows? He might be going to jail. Things don't work out well for uh, teams when they pay these running backs, but you always hope to be the one exception and, you know, not addition to the rule. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, but the Giants got what they wanted, so good on them. Yeah, Corey, you snuck in there about C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Dylan, are you surprised he didn't get the franchise tag or anyone else on the Eagles for that matter? You know, I'm not really surprised. Um, It's a move that I thought maybe they would do. But I really do think that they want to go young next year on the defensive end. And I think they'll try and negotiate with uh, CJ and see what happens. But I think that they want to bring up the likes of Nicobe Dean, Jordan Davis, and really have those as some anchors on the defensive end. I think that they draft in the secondary, especially with two first-round picks. And I have been talking to my buddies that are Eagles fans about it. It's the first time I think I've brought it up really on the show, but I wouldn't be shocked if we saw the Eagles take a step back next year to take another step forward for the next two to four years after that. I think that they're going to go young defensively 
And maybe Gardner Johnson wanted more money than fits their timeline. Um, time will tell. We'd love to have him back in Philly, but I'm not surprised that they didn't use the franchise tag. I think this is a team that wants to be flexible considering they have a lot of free agents and don't want to have a lot of money tied up, tied up in just one. Yep, the Eagles taking a step back to potentially take two steps forward or more in the years following. Certainly on brand for the NFC East, we know how that division is with repeat division champions. So maybe the Giants, another year of development for Daniel Jones, they could leapfrog Dallas for that top spot. But one area of the NFL that is never taking a step backwards, only forward, it continues to grow and grow and grow is the quarterback market over the last 36 to 40 hours. It has taken shape finally. Geno Smith, I think, finally writing back. He finally gets his big payday after nearly a decade of being labeled a bust, a waste of a draft pick, a so-and-so backup, has a great year, comeback player of the year in Seattle. Three years, $105 million. He'll be Seattle's short-term quarterback. I think this takes Seattle out of the race for drafting a quarterback this year. I think Gino will see the end of this contract out, and then I think maybe 2024 or beyond. Maybe it's a day two or day three pick for Seattle this year to develop behind Gino. But um, Derek Carr also, he signs a deal with the Saints four years, $150 million. To me, this is a move that makes more sense for the Saints, trying to stabilize that quarterback position in the wake of Tom Brady finally retiring in that weak NFC South. It makes more sense to me for the Saints than it does for Derek Carr. Because I think if Derek Carr, you wanted to go to the NFC, I don't know if Carolina was interested. Corey and I said multiple times on the show about Washington. I don't know if they were interested in Derek Carr, you know, if it was both ways. They just seem like better fits. I think the offense on both of those teams, I like DJ Moore more, ironically, than I mean, Chris Olave is good. He could have been offensive rookie of the year, but Michael Thomas to me seems like a myth these days. And Alvin Kamara, you said it. He's staring down the barrel of a six-game suspension that could come at possibly the worst time of the season. Washington has Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin, a couple great running backs. So I don't know. New Orleans, it seems like a strange pick. What do you guys think of Geno and Derek Carr here? I'm going to speak more on the Derek Carr situation than the Gino one. I'll be short about that. I, the Gino one doesn't surprise me. Played well for Seattle. They want to develop around him. They love him there. Makes sense. Didn't give him a monster bag, but good to see Gino get paid. Now, as for Derek Carr, listen, the NFC South, that seemed like the easy spot to go for me. Of every winnable division, no matter which team he chose, that he would be the best quarterback in the division by far at this point. Now, I was leaning more that he would go to Carolina. I thought that they had a little bit better of an overall team. But those weapons in New Orleans, Camara, Michael Thomas, Olave, and the way that they maneuvered the cap, and Dennis Allen being there, all was intriguing enough to bring in Carr. Right now, they'd be my pick to win the division. We'll see how the rest of the offseason goes, especially for Carolina. They are now in a prime spot to take Anthony Richardson in the draft. Keep an eye out for that. You spoke mostly on Carr, so I'll speak mostly on Geno. And I think the Seahawks, they hit a home run last offseason trading Russ. Now when they got Geno, he fought for the top spot with Drew Locke, won it. They made the playoffs. Three years, $105 million, 35 per. That's awesome. That's more money in one year than Geno's made his whole career combined. 
So, I mean, just an amazing uh, journey for him. And, you know, maybe this will be his last contract made, maybe not. But really good work, and that doesn't preclude them from drafting somebody, like you said. Maybe a winner like Stetson Bennett, day three, goes there, sits for two years, beats out Geno, and they do something great there. And then going to Carr real quick, it's going to be tough. He's he's shown flashes, but he's also shown that he's not the biggest winner when it comes when it comes down to it. So it's going to be tough, especially if some of the other more well-built teams are in that division are able to figure out the quarterback spot. But right now, they're the only one with a quarterback. So they have to be favorites, the Saints. And history seems to be repeating itself. A Hall of Fame uh, Packers quarterback looks to be going to the Jets. Ben, what do you think of the Aaron Rodgers developments from today? You know, I I think the New York media has convinced the New York Jets to go get Aaron Rodgers at this point. Uh, I, I think he's a little bit better than a cheeseburger. Back to Dylan's point uh, that Nick Wright made earlier on uh, his show on Fox Sports. But, you know, going with Aaron Rodgers seems like a win now move. And it really shows the guys there that that's what they're trying to do. And they are trying to win now. Quarterback play was atrocious for the team last year when the fan base only felt confident with Mike White under center. That's an issue. Aaron Rodgers, even at the tail end of his career is worlds better than Mike White. So, you know, Ultimately, it'll be a good move for the team. I think, you know, they're going to be able to add some pieces as well. Brees Hall comes back, Garrett Wilson on offense, a really strong offensive line, and one of the best defenses in the league, coached by one of the best defensive coaches in the league. Tough to complain about the Jets, especially if you add a Hall of Fame quarterback or a future Hall of Fame quarterback, rather, in Aaron Rodgers. Yep, and the big news coming out today, the one we were all waiting for, Lamar Jackson gets the non-exclusive franchise tag from Baltimore worth about $32 million. More importantly, it lets both sides see what the market says for Lamar. And the Ravens, they still have the right to match. And if they decide not to, they'll get two first-round picks. I sat here a week or two ago and said that's the move I would make if I was Baltimore. Uh, so how do, you, how do you guys see this plan out moving forward for Lamar and the Ravens? This is a situation that I've been on um, for quite some time. We do want to give credit to our own Corey here, who basically called this move saying that, you know, the Ravens and Lamar were not going to get to a contract extension. They would do the non-exclusive so the Ravens could match and basically just dictate the market and see what it is because they were on polar opposites thanks to Deshaun Watson's fully guaranteed contract. However, however, I think there's still some possibility that Lamar Jackson could find a new home next season. I think that, you know, the Jets, they could back out of the Rodgers move. It came out today that Vegas wasn't interested, but we'll see if that stands true. And a team that I think could surprisingly make a move. And now this would come after the draft because they don't want to give up their picks this year. But don't sleep on the Houston Texans landing Lamar Jackson. Interesting with Houston going after Lamar. I I felt like I was reading this situation right, but I was also one of the only ones saying it. Not to give myself too much props, but it hasn't resolved itself, so I can't really take all the uh, the kudos just yet. But I just don't understand why the Falcons, Dolphins, Panthers, 
commanders and raiders all are being reported as being out on Lamar. Are they crazy? Are they run by crazy people? I mean, other than Washington, who we know is. But how are you out on Lamar? How do you not at least give them a phone call to figure out, like, hey, is Lamar really available? Why don't we just check that out? All those teams can use him. Well, I still think Lamar and the Ravens get a deal done and that the Ravens are basically saying, yeah, we're going to be here. We still have you, you know, controlled. But if you want to see what your market's like and we can meet that way, sure, yeah, we'll bridge the gap that way. You do you, you come back to us. And I think ultimately Lamar might regret skipping out on that deal that they offered earlier, you know, $225 million with 135 guaranteed. It's a massive deal. So they might even end up signing him for less than that if the market's not where he or they thought it was. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I I agree with you there, Corey. I do think that the market for Lamar might not be the same. I still think there may be a team out there that goes for him. But now with that tag, it's a hefty price to pay. Uh, if you, you know, think maybe I'll just try and wait a year see if Lamar's on the market next year or I'll go get my guy a different way. It is a big price to pay for someone that, you know, you mentioned earlier, his, his window might not be as long because the legs are what goes first. But when you look at, you know, Lamar and the situation down in Houston, I, like, I just want to say, I think that might be a great fit. Just with D'Amico Ryan's taking over down there, that's an immediate way to change the culture. And I'll tell you what, that team would be pretty good pretty quickly with D'Amico Ryan's heading up the defense and Lamar Jackson spearheading the offense. Yep, the Lamar Jackson saga far from over. We'll see how it plays out in the coming weeks, but that'll do it for today's show. Keep it locked in with us as we continue to navigate the NFL free agency frenzy that officially kicks off next Monday with a legal tampering period. And then it's the new league year, Wednesday, March 15th, 4 p.m. Eastern. Follow us on Instagram at Outsider Sports Network, on Twitter at Outsider Sports 3. Search us up here on Spotify, YouTube, and TikTok by looking up Outsider Sports. And thank you for listening to another episode.